Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. I'd like to do a little part two from last week. The Lord is stretching us in this body, I believe, in lots of different ways. How many were stretched a little bit this morning just in worship? Were you stretched by that a little bit? That's actually good, good for you. It's good for all of us. We're focusing on Jesus and letting him stretch us in ways that we, we, we get ourselves pigeonholed into what we're comfortable with, and sometimes our comfortability is actually a hindrance to the Lord doing what he wants to do in us. Um, so he's stretching us, but he's also stretching us as a body in the area of prayer and calling us higher. I believe that. 100%. I love the Lord's gracious heart and how he answers prayers. Have you ever had the Lord just surprise you with just little kisses of answered prayer and you weren't expecting it, just beautiful? I read a, a story again of a, a lady from Minnesota, a sister, and it's her first time rock climbing. She loved to rock climb and she went, they went out to the mountain and were climbing rocks and she climbed up got up on the, the little peak that they were going for, and you know how they pull the ropes? They have the ropes that go through your, your rings and all that. They pulled the ropes, and they pulled them a little too tight, and one came and popped her in the eye, and her contact fell out down the mountain. And she prayed, Jesus, help me find it! And she stopped. I'm just going to look. Is it at my feet? Is it behind me? Where, where did my contact go? Because how many know it's a little scary to rock climb and you can't see? You have to be really good. And she couldn't find it. And um, so 15, 20, 30 minutes, she couldn't find it. And she's a little bit discouraged. She's in a different town. She doesn't know where she can get one. She can't get one anywhere close. And so she's struggling to see, having lost her contact. And she's making her way down with the team that was up there. There's another group at the bottom who's starting to come up. And as they're almost nearing the bottom, she hears a voice cry out from the bottom, Hey, did anybody lose a contact? She said, No, for real. There's an ant carrying a contact lens up the mountain. And this lady who lost her contact an hour ago looks down, and here comes crawling up a rock this ant with a contact lens that is way bigger than it, carrying it up this rock. And she reaches down and picks it up and wipes it off with water, and it's her contact. That's a, I love you. That's a beautiful gift from the heart of the Lord. And I love the way that he does that in our lives. And he answers prayers just to tell us that he loves us, that he hears us, that he's for us, that his heart is good. But there's other aspects to prayer than just us asking for things that we want or being blessed by the Lord, right? 
There's other aspects of prayer. I've been thinking about the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 12 in just a minute here because I want to get into the two other corporate prayer meetings in the book of Acts that we didn't get to. But thinking about the Lord's Prayer, there's a couple things in there to me that are a little bit surprising and that I don't think we think about very often. One of them is this thought. When he starts out, pray like this, our Father, our Father in heaven, cause your name to be hallowed and treasured and loved and rightly honored by everybody. That's prayer number one. And cause your kingdom, let your reign and your right to reign and rule over every person and everything come to greater fruition than it ever has before. And pray like this, let your will, Lord, what you want, let that be the thing that happens in every situation, in every heart, and in every place. Why did Jesus put those at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? I, I want to submit to you, I believe that he was establishing priorities in prayer. That we pray first and most passionately and most fervently about what God wants and not about what we want. Hey, this is real. So there is an aspect of our prayer life that is not just for us because the first three are all about God and about His eternal, big, large purposes, right? And then we get down to, give us this day, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Watch over the things concerning our life. But we kind of skip past the first three and go, oh, you can handle that. And I think that it would help us to recalibrate our thinking about prayer and a people of prayer. Because listen, we have standing before Almighty God, which is an incredible thing. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have been washed from our sins. We have been made pure. And we have been robed with the righteousness of the perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And so now we can stand and even come into the very throne of God with boldness and confidence, right? This is amazing. If you would have told Aaron that in Leviticus chapter 17, dude, what is your problem? Just go on in because we have boldness of access. He would have looked like, at you like you're insane. No, everything has to be perfect because the phrase occurs over and over and over again in the book of Leviticus and in other Old Testament books. If you do this, you will die. If you come into my presence unprepared, uncleansed, if you're not dressed just right, you will die. Don't do that lest you die. Those phrases, there's like 10 or 15 of them exactly like that. Because God's holiness is really holy. And our unholiness is really unholy. And the sacrifice of Jesus is absolutely amazing. We have standing to come before the judge of the universe, to stand before him and to ask him anything that's on our heart. That is an incredible privilege. And the question that I want to ask this morning is, what are we primarily doing with that privilege? 
Are we just viewing that as being my time to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I would really love to have a new car. It's okay. It's legitimate. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I would really love to have a bigger house. I would really love to have fill in the blank. Not wrong. But the priorities that Jesus laid out are pray first. Prioritize first the things that the Father wants, giving Him what He wants. And the second thing in the Lord's Prayer that surprises me on some level is that Jesus goes from, in Matthew chapter 6, talking about get in your prayer closet, go in there, shut the door, don't do it before men. And then he goes right into the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, whatever you want to call it. I don't have a problem with any of it. And he says, he starts out with our Father. And all the language in the whole prayer is a community-based thing using plurals. Our Father, our bread, our sins. Everything is about community. And so I believe that the Lord calls us as a community to pray together more than we have. And I believe He wants to stretch us because there is truly a synergy that happens when we gather together as a people. And we've seen this in the book of Acts and the corporate prayer meetings there. They really did change history with their corporate prayer meetings. They really did. And there's people since then that their corporate prayer together has really changed history. It's real. And the Lord's calling us into Deeper community in praying together, using the authority that Jesus gave us, using the standing that we have before God. Did, did you all notice after the election with all the lawsuits in, in 2020, if judges didn't want to handle a case, what did they say? Oh, Attorney General of the State, you don't have standing. Get out. Your case is no good. I found that amazing. I thought... I didn't know standing on a case was like so arbitrary up to the judge or whether he decided whether he wanted to do it or not. But with God, he guaranteed us the standing of his son. That's phenomenal. We can take our case into the very presence of the judge and the king of the universe, and it is phenomenal. Here's what one top scholar says about this Lord's Prayer and about the plurals in there. Throughout the prayer, the reference is plural. Our Father, etc. In other words, this is an example of a prayer to be prayed in fellowship with other disciples, not in isolation. That's really important. Acts chapter 12. I want to look at this corporate prayer meeting. There's a story that surrounds it that we want to look at for sure. It's fascinating. Acts 12, I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and you can follow. I think we'll have time to get through this one. We'll just see how, how we go. Now, about that time, Herod, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Toby got up here and shared this, and I'm thinking, oh, we're on the same page. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Start killing the leaders of 
the church. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. So that's 16 soldiers. There's always a soldier chained to each arm, and then they go on shifts. So the whole time you're in prison, there's a big dude over here chained to this arm, and there's a big dude over here chained to this arm. And the point is, there ain't no way you're going to escape. You are not going to escape because what was Herod's plan, and it's going to come out here in this text, is that he's systematically going to kill the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. He started with James. He's going for Peter. Let's just take him, and this is pleasing those. It's giving me political clout, so let's just kill him. And he's intending fully to kill Peter. Clearly, he is. So Peter, verse 5 was kept in the prison, notice this, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. I want to pause here and just make a couple of points from this passage. Number one, as believers, we are at war. We're at war. There's a real enemy that does not want the gospel to go forth. He does not want the glory of Jesus to be seen. He does not want his kingdom to be torn down. He doesn't want another king coming in and kicking him out of his throne. It's war. We're at war, right? We know that from other scriptures, Ephesians chapter 6, that we're in a warfare. That's why we put on the armor. This is real war, and it's not just... Our enemies are not just demons, although there's demonic things that inspire people. But honestly, y'all, I'm going to say this because I love us, and I include myself in this because we're all Americans. Our enemies are not just demons, but comfortable lives, good food, social media, and entertainment. Because those are the things that keep us from manning our station, and taking our standing and the authority that Christ has giving us, given us and letting it loose and letting it fly. They're called distractions. Are they sins? If they keep us from obeying God, then I would say yes. We're at war. I want to read this passage of Scripture for you in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 to 31. I would wager a lot of money that nobody has this passage on their refrigerator right now. But I would like to have one on my refrigerator. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 says, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those I think I doubled this up. And those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. It's really interesting. Get the most out of life. Enjoy every single thing. Mm. 
for the form of this world is passing away. This world's passing away. We're moving rapidly like a freight train towards eternity. Whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime or not, we're going to die. We're going to die. There's going to come a moment where we step out of our body and the body is laid in a box or put through a furnace, whatever it is, and we're going to go directly to our home, whether that be with Jesus or whether that be in the holding penitentiary of Hades. It's happening quickly. And so Paul's admonition to the Corinthians is, we should be living our lives in the light of eternity and not let anything get us distracted from our purpose and what we're doing. Right? Let those words soak in for a minute. We're at war. Second thing I want to point out about war. War requires everyone to do their part. We haven't been in war in recent generations. I missed even the Vietnam War. The draft was abolished before I got of age, so I wasn't in war. There's someone here possibly who have been, who volunteered, or part of the service. My grandfather was in the World Wars. My father was in the Korean War. But there was a draft in, and you go to war, and why is that? Because when a country's at war, everybody has to rally together and do their part in order for the war to be won. So making the point with the church of Jesus Christ, this is why the spectator model of doing church, which is largely the, the Western model, the American model, doesn't work. Because there's something that every person has to do and a deposit in every person from Jesus that has to be put in for the war effort to win. And you can't just have the few that are the prayer warriors. That's great. You know what their role, you know what the role of the prayer warriors is? It's to help to inspire all of us who are distracted with these other things to get in the fight. That's what their main role is. Their main role is not that they're going to be the ones that do it, and if they get the prayer done, then everything's going to be just fine because we've got these five prayer warriors that can really get it done. The prayer of the church of Jesus is not about there being green beret. That are the special forces. They're the elite. They're the ones that can actually pray and get it done. Now, I think that there's people that are, have more, maybe a greater heart for prayer, which is great. Maybe they have a greater focus on that in their life, which is wonderful. But their role largely is to inspire the rest of us to rally around and take the thing Jesus has entrusted to us as a people and to pray. That's what their role is. You see in verse 5, prayer fervently was being made by, by what? The church, not the prayer warrior band, not the intercessors. Where did that concept come from? We made it up to alleviate ourselves of the responsibility. Fervent prayer was being made by the church. 
This is a group effort. Third point, war requires extraordinary effort. You see the word fervently there? It's the same word that Luke used to describe Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And being in agony, he prayed fervently. Same word. You're in the army now. You've always been in it. You just didn't know. And the Lord's calling us. I, I, I believe this. Prayer, y'all, prayer is not about guilt. It's about grit. It's about courage. It's about perseverance. And it's about believing what God says about us. If we want to talk identity, and that's a big thing, and my... I have nothing against that. I believe in it, except for we're very selective in the identities that we choose to, to put on ourselves. I'm going to put the label of I'm a son, I'm beloved, I'm all, all of the positive things. But put on yourself at the same time that you are holy, that you are called as one who carries the authority of Jesus in prayer and speaks forth His words and His desires and His decrees. Put intercessor on your identity card. I had a feeling this wasn't going to preach for a while today. It's all good. Verse 6 through 12. Fervently. They're not playing, y'all. They're not playing. They're praying fervently. They're, one of their leaders, James, has already been beheaded. Peter is now in prison. Sixteen guards on one dude. Because they're keeping him until the feast is over. Because the Jews are not down with killing somebody on their feast. Because that sort of takes away the festivity of it, right? Just wait. Tuck him away until the feast is over. Then cut his head off. We're good with that. They're praying fervently. Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring forward Peter, he's about to bring him out before the people and condemn him and say, he's the next one who's going to go. We're going to systematically do away with all of the leaders of this cult of the Christ. We're going to kill him. Herod was evil, driven by demons. Agreed? Yeah, for sure. He could kill for political gain. He's, he's, he's demonized, for sure. Verse 6, on the very night when Herod was about to bring forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, one on each arm, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So you got them in front of the gate too. And behold, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And his chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself, and they went out 
and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him because at that point, clearly Peter knew where he was. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting, which is for me to be dead by tomorrow morning. Here's the point of this. When God's church prays fervently, God the Father is down for a good fight. Oh, Herod, only 16 guards? Only a prison? Only a sword? Watch this. Boom. Angel here. Open the gate. Watch. If you want to fight with me, dude, when my people are praying fervently, watch what happens because it's on now. I love the Lord. He's not afraid of evil. He just wants his people to engage with him in the process of the war. Let's read down through. When he realized this, verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were? And were? How were they praying? Fervently. Good. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. You're seeing things, dear. The stress has gotten to you. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and to the brethren. And he left and went to another place because he probably knew that the Roman authorities were going to be hunting for him. Now, when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become to Peter. How dumb can you be? Sixteen guys chained to each arm. How did he get out? I can imagine the conversation with Herod was not very pleasant. When Herod searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. This was not a nice man. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Notice, before we get into 20 to 24, which is part of this passage with a purpose and for a reason. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, that's like his chief of staff, and they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. So they needed Herod, and so they started doing a little massage on him. They started telling him how great he was, and the king's chief of staff probably said, look, this dude, like, you just need to stroke him all over, comb his hair, and tell him how great he is and all that. That's what, that's what you need to do, and we'll get past this. We'll work out a deal, a resolution that politically is going to work for you. You guys will continue to have your trade and get your food and all of that. 
And the people on the appointed day, verse 21, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod liked it, no doubt. But God said, watch this. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Verse 24 finishes out the thought. And the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. You go, well, God doesn't kill people. He does. And he's the only one that has the right to. Were the people in the book of Acts chapter 12 praying for Herod to be killed? No. No. They were praying for the Lord to preserve the leaders of the movement so that the gospel could continue to go forth. And they're praying like they did over and over again in the Scripture that the Word of God would continue to run swiftly and to be multiplied and to prosper and to take over. And so the Lord said, okay, well, we've got this knucklehead who's entrenched himself against my purposes and what I want to do, and he's already purposed in his heart. He's going to kill my people, so you're out. You okay with that theology? We do not have the right to pray for people to be killed. Hear what I say. We don't have the right. We don't have the right to do that. That is not what I'm saying. God can do that because He created them, and if He wants to recall them, He can. This, this, this is not just in the book of Acts. This happened actually fairly recently, just before I was born. But there was a man who was the dictator, the unquestioned absolute authority of Russia named Joseph Stalin, very wicked man. He personally oversaw, I don't want to say personally, that's not the right word. He was responsible for the murder of 20 million people. He decided in the mid-1950s, 1953, and the timing is important here, he decided that he was going to purge the Jewish people. He grew up Russian Orthodox. He despised Jews. He put up with them because after World War II, of course, Hitler wanted to exterminate the Jews. And so a lot of Jewish people emigrated to Russia because Russia was, in one sense, their liberators in World War II from the Nazis. But Stalin hated them. And he decided in 1953 that he was going to purge the Jews and start systematically killing them again. And word got out to some prayers, and Derek Prince was one of them. And in his book, Shaping History by Prayer and Fasting, he tells this story, how they sent out a call among all the people that were praying for Israel and praying for God's heart in the world. Like, this is going to happen. Stalin has let this be known. They had an insider that was giving them the news and the directive. He's going to start slaughtering the Jewish people again. And of course, they were alarmed, and they called a time of prayer and fasting across the whole spectrum of all the contacts that they had. This, this is a real thing. This happened in March of 1953. They began praying and fasting for God to rescue the Jews, people in Russia. 
Two weeks later, Joseph Stalin, out of the blue, had a massive stroke and died. That's real. Nobody knew why he died. I'm not saying God necessarily, but I'm saying most likely it makes sense. Here's the point. When the people of God band together as a church and pray fervently, God says, I'm down for a good fight. I will cause my purposes to prevail. If we prioritize God's purposes more than ours, that would be a good posture for us to take in our prayer life. Because I can tell you from experience, not that we don't pray for ourselves, we do. It's just the second half of the thing. But that's not where we start, and that's not where we fixate, and that's not what we obsess on. We pray for God's greater and larger purposes. Lord, let your gospel go forth. Save the lost. Cause your name to be glorious. Cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done. We want your bigger purposes to come forth. But I want to tell you when we're praying for the bigger purposes, we need the whole church to be praying instead of the ones who would dare to have on their identity tag, intercessor. But I can tell you that that is on yours whether you put it there or not. So the Lord is calling us and stretching us to be a people who pray together. Chapter 13, we'll go through this really quickly. This is verses 1 through 4. I'm going to make some comments and we're going to finish up. Everybody doing okay right now? Smile if you're doing okay. All right. Acts 13. This is the fourth corporate prayer meeting in the book of Acts. There's only four. Now, the word Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These are Obviously, this isn't the whole church, but this is a corporate meeting where these are gathered together for specific purposes. They're gathering together and praying and fasting. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, such a good phrase. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So here's the point. These guys gather together. They're leaders in the body of Christ. They're prophets and teachers. And they go, we've got these Gentiles to deal with. How are we going to evangelize the Gentiles? Because Jesus died for the Gentiles as well. And this pagan Roman society is dangerous. We're against the law to them. If they follow the worship of Jesus... It's against their law. So how are, we, how are we going to do this? How are we going to evangelize them? How are we going to win the ones that Jesus died for and give him what he died for? How are we going to do that? They're trying to figure it out. So wisely, they gather together and they're praying and seeking the face of God with fasting. Fasting is an intensifier to prayer. Why? Because it keeps our focus on the Lord. Because one of our enemies is good food. It can be 
It's also a blessing. What should we do with our good food? We should say, Lord, you're amazing. You're so amazing. I love these chickpeas. I love this kale. Oh, that's not what y'all pray? I love these veggie sandwiches. They're amazing. Oh, y'all are about barbecue and mac and cheese and... Now you're getting happy. See, I'm touching that little spot of good food right there. Here's the thing. Rejoice in all the goodness that the Lord gives us, but like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, we don't make full use of it. We don't just go, we're going to get the most out of this day, and I'm just going to eat whatever I want because it's so amazing. We're not going to do that if it distracts us from the greater purposes of God. And if our eyes get on the wrong thing and our pleasures begin to drive us and lead us and control us. No amens, but that's absolutely the truth. That's the way we should view the pleasures of life is that we rejoice and thank God for His goodness, but we are not brought under the power of any, and nothing keeps us from fulfilling our call to the army. No soldier enlisted in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why, Paul? So that he may please the one who enlisted him. There is sacrifice to being a soldier. But the greater good far outweighs the sacrifice. The Lord is calling us higher. So I love that they sought the Lord for divine strategy. One thing, I get this and I can say this because I read quite a bit. I've read lots of books on church growth and blah, blah, blah. And most of that stuff, to be honest with you, is just good ideas of men. And it's not divine strategy at all. And the question has to arise in all of our discussion. What do you want? What's your strategy? Lord knows we don't need more good ideas. We, we had a friend who used to say all the time, the difference between good and God is the one big zero in the middle. And good is often the enemy of what God wants. So we have to get his wisdom. So what is God's wisdom in this situation? You want to evangelize the Gentiles? Here's what you're going to do. I want you to send out Paul and Barnabas. They're my chosen vessels, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them to. Then they fasted and prayed more and laid their hands on them and sent them away. And they went out and they began evangelizing. And immediately, because it was the Lord's plan and it wasn't their good idea that they got from a book. I'm not saying all ideas from books are bad. But this is the book that we need to have the good ideas from. And his wisdom is the wisdom that we need to have and not the wisdom of man. God, deliver us from the wisdom of men in running the church. All right, I'm getting down off my horse. We don't need more good ideas. We need more God ideas. So they got divine strategy. And God 
revealed his strategy, and he released his messengers. And when they went forth, there was a plan that had been birthed by God because they waited on the Lord to get his wisdom. How long do you wait until? Until. Until you get the wisdom from heaven, and then you do that thing. And it's an amazing thing how when we obey what the Lord's plan is, that he blesses it. You know, I think one of the prayers that the Lord despises the most, if I can say that, Lord, is, Lord, bless my plan. He's like, wait a minute. Why don't you take the time to get my plan? And then it will be blessed. I will actually breathe upon it. I will enable it by my grace. But when you have your own plan, you're on your own, and that's really lonely. Am I stretching you all a little bit today? Here's three things that came out of that prayer meeting the Gentiles began to be swept into the kingdom in mass. In 250 years, the Roman Empire was subdued by Christianity in a land where they had over 300 million gods that they worshipped. And they actually accused Christians of being atheists. Because you only have one God? Dude, you're an atheist. The Roman Empire was swept over by the gospel, the power of the gospel. And think about it. Paul, the chosen vessel, how many letters did he write? How much of the New Testament did he write that we still glean from every single day? How many love the letters of Paul? Amazing. Thirteen letters. All of this came... What if they had picked the wrong dude and go, Manan, actually, you know what we need to do? We need to have, because you have this skill set and you have this package, let's, let's put you and you and let's do you and you. Oh, you guys go here and you. The Lord's like, I thought y'all were here to get strategy. Like, you, you're going to make up your own plan? No. I'm separating Barnabas and Saul for this work that I'm sending them to. And because I'm separating them and sending them, there's going to be powerful results because I'm going to breathe on them by my spirit and cause the word of the Lord to multiply and to prosper when I send them forth. Praying for the, God, the big, large issues on the heart of the Lord. That's powerful. I want to close with 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. This is our calling and our mandate as a people. It says this, first of all, such a big phrase, first of all, I urge. First of all means first in importance. It doesn't mean first in a list of things that I'm about to tell you, 12 things, and first of all, this is number one, it's not that. It's first of all in importance.
above everything else, I want you, when you gather together, I'm urging you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Oh, yeah, but you don't understand, brother. Like, we've got problems in our house. Like, I, I, I need a new car. I need, I need a new job. I need, I need to lose 30 pounds. I need, I, I, I need, I have these needs. The Lord's okay with those needs. But what is the first thing? When we gather together as a people, as a corporate people, we're praying for what's on the heart of God as the most important large things. Lord, we need your name to be rightly honored in our culture. They use your name only as a curse word. That's not okay. They use your name when they're politicians trying to garner the Christians to come into their circle to vote. That's not okay. We want your name to be so honored and loved and revered and treasured that when it's spoken, people savor it. You're beautiful. We want your rule and your reign. We don't want to throw off all restraint. That's what we're doing in our culture today. You know that's true. We can name a hundred ways that's happening. Here's the thing. We can curse the darkness, or we can go into the courtroom before the judge with the standing of the Son of God. And we can put out there the requests that God told us to pray and pray fervently as a people. Which is more powerful? I'm convinced 100%. I've been in the pro-life movement since back in the 80s. I was arrested twice for blocking the entrance to abortion clinics. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. It's okay. I've been involved with all of that. We've taken direct action, and I think there was an effect there, mostly to awaken people's hearts to what's really happening. But I want to tell you where that battle was won, I believe it's 100%. As somebody who did, after the first time I got arrested, 200 hours of community service, Thousands of dollars in court costs and fines. Not crying. Lots of people suffered way more than me. There's people in the pro-life movement back in the early days, y'all, that they lost everything. They went to prison for decades until the Supreme Court finally got around to throwing out the case because it was built on a faulty law that was meant for mafia bosses and they used it against pro-life leaders. They rotted in jail for decades. That's a real thing. I'm not, it's not a guilt trip. It's just real. People suffered for that. But I want to tell you the thing that turned the tide. I believe this 100% more than anything else. I'm not saying we shouldn't act. I'm not saying we shouldn't pick it. I've had beer thrown in my face. I've had ladies jump out of cars and run up and start pummeling me with their fists. And I had to hold their arm and go, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And the police come and take them. 
I've been in those circles. I've watched dudes lock their heads to the doors with motorcycle locks. I've watched the police come with locksmiths and take two hours to get that lock undone. I've, I've been in all of those things, but I want to tell you something. The thing that turned the tide was the prayers of God's people, 100%. I'm not saying the other didn't matter. But when God gets involved in the fight directly because his church is praying fervently, that doesn't mean just one time. We pray with perseverance. That's when things shift, when heaven gets involved. Because look, y'all, these issues are way bigger than we are. They're way bigger than we are. Yes, do all that we can. But I want to tell you something. If we don't have spiritual power, we will not win. Because only heaven can break the stronghold and the stranglehold of darkness and demonic deception. Only God can do that. We need, if we say we want cultural transformation, are we going to be like the early church in the book of Acts? And we're going to begin starting out on a journey and going, you know what? If it takes 250 years, we're going to get on the trail now and we're going to take the thing that God gave us, the authority that he gave us in his name, and we're going to call out to him and we're going to, as a people, pray fervently that he will come and intervene for the sake of his name, for the sake of his kingdom, and for the sake of his will. And here's what I believe, and here's my experience. When we put the Lord's interests first, not saying we don't pray for our own. When we pursue his interest first, then he very often takes care of our issues without us even asking. Can anybody else testify to that being true? All right, so the question is, what are we going to do with our mandate? First of all, above everything else. I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, when you gather together, let there be entreaties, prayers, petitions is the word for intercession. Intercessions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Oh, well, that's opposite of what you just said. That's praying for our own good. No, you, you got to follow through and read the rest of it. The point of this is, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What is good and acceptable for us to gather and pray? Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Here's the point. We're praying for leaders to not be unhinged demoniacs like was Nero when Paul told Timothy to pray for this, Nero was the emperor in the Roman Empire. If you want to see a demoniac in action, it was Nero. He was the most bizarre, ridiculous, demonic, demented, twisted person. I mean, if I read you, you'd, you'd want to vomit if you read his history. He's so demoniac, so demonized. Killed his own mother, killed his stepbrother. Murdered countless people. Total sexual deviant in every way. Blamed the Christians for the fire that he started so that he could expand his palace and all of that. And began a raging persecution against the church of Jesus. 
I urge you. Pray for them. For Nero? Are you kidding? The dude is full of the devil. Remember Herod. Dude was full of the devil. People of God prayed fervently. And the Lord said, that's not a problem. I'm down for a good fight. But the problem is, if we throw down our hands and go, what's the use? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. We've just abdicated our greatest power to influence by connecting with the Holy Spirit in praying the desires of God. We start with leaders because even an evil leader is better than chaos. Yeah. We start there. We take our authority. We do what God said. He urges us to do this. This is our calling. And when we do that, there's an atmosphere set because the people of God are already praying to where the Word of God begins to take hold and begins to sweep in and push back darkness and bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read you just a few verses here and I'm done. This is a quote by William Mounts, who's a great leading New Testament scholar in, in the world today, I would say. He said, the phrase above everything else, or first of all, tells us that the instruction in these verses is the most significant change Timothy can affect in this Christian community by getting the people to come together and to pray. It's the most dramatic effect that he can have. It should be understood as first in importance, not as first in time. A couple of prayers of Paul that I'm going to read. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Oh, I thought the word was already anointed, brother. It is, but there's lots of resistance and there's lots of blind eyes and blind hearts. Pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it also did with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Paul's prayer, Romans 15, 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by, here's urging again, and by the love of the Spirit, listen to this, I'm urging you, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That sounds selfish, no. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient. He's spreading the gospel. Pray that God keeps an open flow, an open door for the gospel to move forward and to prosper. It's not just a matter of speaking it. It's a matter of the way being made, and it's a matter of the ground being tilled, and it's a matter of the hearts being prepared. It is. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me an opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And then listen to this testimony of Paul at the end of his life, the last chapter he ever wrote. 
in one of his letters, 2 Timothy 4.17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that the, all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. How'd that happen? That was a coincidence. That wasn't a coincidence. That was the people of God, everybody taking their part, putting in their supply so that the Father could get fully involved in the fight and get what he wants. I call us. I believe the Lord is calling us. I, I hope that you all hear the urgency of the Apostle Paul and of the Spirit of the living God in calling the people of God to pray together. You go, oh, that's awkward. I'm just going to pray in my prayer closet. I get it. It doesn't matter. First, you know, being in the army is pretty awkward. Being a soldier can be really awkward. It's okay. We got to press past the awkward. We got to press past our love for convenience and comfort. And we, we, we've been trained this way. We're Americans. We've been trained to love comfort. We've been trained to love it. And so as the people of God and God's army called to do His will, we have to be willing to lay down our love of comfort for the sake of the greater purposes of God to come to pass in the earth. We can shout, we can dance, we can say all that we want. We're all about the Lord having what He wants, but His is what He wants. He's calling us to be the people that are going to connect with His Spirit and pray forth the things that are going to prepare the ground so that His gospel can prosper and go forth. This is the hope of the nations. This is the hope of our generation is that the gospel will take root in the hearts of people that is the only way that culture changes is when hearts change. And we are the people. We're at the door. We have to decide. So I'm calling us, and I know I'm pressing on this a little bit. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to face our responsibility and to say yes. I will be part of this. Y'all start where you can start. You heard me last week talk about the widow's might. If that's all you got, mama with young children, if you can only come to one prayer meeting a month, bless you. The Lord blesses you. You might be putting in more than all of us. The Lord knows. But on some level, the Lord is calling for us to engage. This is not a message just to go, oh, let's get all hyped up about prayer when we talk about prayer. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. He's saying do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Well, I don't really know how. Listen, I want to tell you something. The first prerequisite of actually being an effective prayer is to realize your own weakness. I, this confession wouldn't sound good for an elder to say, but I'm about to say I want to have you confess. I suck at prayer. So I'm not going to do that. But the reality is God already factored in our weakness in the whole thing. He said it in Romans 8, 26, that we are weak. We don't even know what to pray as we ought to. But that's why I'm giving you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And if you'll join your cart to his, you're going to be all right. He'll take you on a wild ride. And you'll learn. 
You can't learn how to pray without praying. You can't learn how to pray by reading a book. You can't learn how to pray by even just watching somebody else. You have to participate to learn how to pray. So I'm asking, because I believe the Lord's asking, will you say yes to Him? Again, we're not watching. We're not doing head counts. We're not taking numbers. We're not doing anything like that. We're just calling for the Lord's higher purposes. I believe this with all my heart. For those to come to pass, even in our body here, there's going to have to be a participation of the people here who will connect together and pray for God's greater purposes. And in the midst of that, you'll get your needs met. You'll get your car fixed. You'll, you'll get the things that you need. That's the beautiful thing about community. It's like we, if we can help you, we will. We will. We, we gave away over $40,000 from benevolence last year to people in our body because they were struggling. So, so, so we, we do care. We get that. Will you say yes? Start small. Say, so I'll go to one prayer meeting a month. Great. Start wherever you can. Definitely don't overcommit to start with and burn yourself out. Don't do that. But start somewhere. So close your eyes with me, please. I want to pray for us as a people. Father, would you, by your spirit, close the deal in hearts throughout this building and even online? Would you close the deal? Would you cause hearts to say yes to you, to becoming the person of prayer, the people of prayer, the church of God that prays fervently? Would you close that deal in the hearts of people and let there be a resounding yes in the hearts of your people to begin somewhere? Father, we, we have a lot of ground to gain that maybe we've lost. As you said, you have not because you ask not. And I ask you to forgive us, Lord, for real. Not, not guilt, but I ask you to forgive us for our prayerlessness and not following what you told us to do. We want to change. We want to be what you want us to be. This is not about striving in our own energy. This is about connecting to your spirit. Would you help us? Would you help us as a people? I pray for your blessing upon every man, woman, and child in this place. That there would be a spirit of grace. I break off all false condemnation from every heart and every mind. You go in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for true conviction from your spirit which gives us hope and encouragement and draws us in and does not beat us down. But I pray that you would have your way and that we would not leave this place the same. Lord, would you not let us leave this place the same as we came in? Let our hearts be turned towards you and our eyes be lifted to you and our ears hearing what you're saying and respond with a full heart with a yes. I pray that you would do that so that you can get your way, so that you can bring us to the place that you're calling us to be. 
and you can bring the full impact of what you desire to come out of this people into this community and into this world. I pray that you would do that, Father. In Jesus' name, join your cart to that freight train. He's coming. Join your cart to that train. I love you all. Thank you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.